Hi guys, you are listening to Girl Confidential. We're going to be getting really controversial today. Um, We are going to be talking about vaccines. Um, And I have a few disclaimers first because this topic is so controversial, so I just want to make a few things clear. First of all, this episode might get taken down considering the censorship that we're seeing. So if you're able to listen... I'm super stoked about that. (laughs) Hi, this is not an anti-vaccine conversation. This is a pro-informed decision conversation. I don't think any parent should take someone else's word and vaccinate or not vaccinate. Either decision needs to be a result of their own research and weighing the risks and benefits of each decision for their particular family and child and lifestyle. You need to really understand these diseases that we do vaccinate for and be familiar with them and the symptoms, how to prevent them, and also how to treat them. I think for a parent to inform themselves only on vaccine ingredients and side effects, but not the diseases, um, that would be pretty irresponsible to not vaccinate just because someone told you not to. Pediatrician Dr. Sears said it himself that Vaccinations are the single most complicated medical intervention your child will ever receive in his or her entire life. So with that being said, a vaccine schedule is not and cannot be a one-size-fits-all no matter what the CDC tries to tell you. This is something that should be tailored for each child after genetic testing and pulling teeters, but it isn't. And that's why we're seeing so many injuries and a rise in autism and childhood cancer, which we'll get more into that later. A lot of what I say in this podcast will be pulled directly from my blog post I wrote about vaccines because I did put a lot of time into compiling a lot of great information to have in one place that is easily accessible. So if you want the links for reference that I bring up throughout this episode, then you can click the link in my Instagram bio and tap blog. But this podcast will have a lot more information because I did write that several months back and I have learned a lot more since then. So I'll probably update that in the near future. So with any medical intervention, I think it's really important to remember a few things. People in white coats are humans. They aren't demigods. Trusting them blindly is dangerous. They can make mistakes. They can give false information, whether it's on purpose or on accident. They have bias and quotas to meet. They were trained by the medical system, which is the same system that profits off of sick people. They don't train these people to be your nutrition coach or to tell you how to build a really strong immune system. They regurgitate what they're taught and they essentially are salespeople for big pharma and I don't want this to sound like I'm bashing doctors because a lot of this is not their fault at all they're just obeying orders and most of them don't do any research outside of their training I don't think doctors are evil liars who just want to poison us I I just think that the amount of intervention we're told we need is unnecessary and to not question it is dangerous so and okay 
I also just want to point out that we were lied to for years about tobacco, asbestos, Roundup, DDT, Vioxx, opioids, Zantac now. There's compensations out for it causing cancer. Like, should I go on? They're lying about vaccines. And it isn't hard putting two and two together if you make the effort to read, leaving everything up to your doctor and trusting them to tell you everything you need to know can cost you your life when it comes to any type of procedure. And that's the problem. A lot of people are helpless and they don't realize that they are in fact capable of making informed decisions. They don't think that they're competent enough to read peer re- peer-reviewed studies or package inserts. It's insane. The information is right here in front of our faces with and I'm and I'm just I'm really talking about so many things right now. Obviously, we're having a conversation about vaccines, but this goes for anything. The information is right here, and people are still in such denial, and these same people then project their own pitiful incompetence onto people who are willing to actually research as if you need a PhD to read and have critical thinking skills. It's like they forget there are thousands of doctors speaking out themselves. It's not like this mob of crazy moms with essential oils. People have got to take their health back into their own hands because the dependence on big pharma for every little thing is outrageous. So (laughs) let's get into the disease themselves first. I won't go way too far into this because I'll honestly be recording this for hours if I let myself. So first up, polio. If you look up polio, you'll see that it was eradicated in the 60s in the United States. Most people that contracted polio did not show symptoms. 5% of people will show symptoms, and only 1% of those 5% will suffer from paralysis or death. That is a very, very small number. Polio is contracted through contaminated water of an infected person. So basically, if you were at a public pool and someone with polio shit in the pool and you decided to drink the pool water, then you might have something to worry about. If polio was eradicated in the 60s, who is going to contaminate water that you're going to be ingesting? We saw a decrease in polio when we switched to indoor plumbing, better sanitation, and contained livestock. A few years into the massive decrease is when the vaccine was introduced. The vaccine did not eradicate polio. In third world countries, they are given an oral polio vaccine, which is a live virus, um, which not shockingly enough has caused polio outbreaks, which is so devastating. We'll talk more about shedding in a little bit, Um, but this vaccine does contain formaldehyde and calf bovine serum. How is calf bovine serum harvested? This PubMed journal will tell us. Hang on. All right, fetal bovine serum. It is a common component of animal cell cultural media. It is harvested from bovine fetuses taken from pregnant cows during slaughter. FBS is commonly harvested by means of a cardiac puncture without any form of anesthesia. Fetuses are probably 
exposed to pain and or discomfort, so the current practice of fetal blood harvesting is inhumane. Apart from moral concern, several scientific and technical problems exist with regard to the use of FBS in cell culture. Efforts should be made to reduce the use of FBS or preferably to replace it with synthetic alternatives. And FBS is actually in a lot of vaccines. You can find all of the ingredients on the CDC pink book. You can find that with a quick Google search. The side effects reported from this vaccine include temperatures over 102, persistent crying, pyrexia, irritability, tiredness, fussiness, agitation, anorexia coming in at 16%, vomiting, diarrhea, GBS, which is, I think it's pronounced Julian, Julian Barr syndrome, uh, which unironically is a polio-like illness, convulsions, confusion, headache, anaphylaxis and even death so um i think amf was also a side effect which amf is acute flaccid myelitis so if you read on both afm and gbs the symptoms are the exact same as polio i've read a a lot of speculation saying that polio was never eradicated just renamed but I really don't know enough about that to really speak on it. I'm sure I'll dig into it, though, when I have the time and bring it up on Instagram in the near future. But as of this moment, I cannot really input. So let's talk about measles, mumps, and rubella. All three of these will resolve on their own over time, usually within a week or two. The only thing doctors can offer is symptom relief. The wild measles virus in the United States is extremely rare. None of these three are big concerns, but there is a lot of fear-mongering around measles, so we'll focus on this disease. Common symptoms include fever, rash, fatigue, dry cough, sore throat, and swollen lymph nodes. Staying efficient in vitamin A can help prevent contracting measles, and if contracted, high doses of vitamin A can shorten and reduce symptoms. This is a statement made by the Mayo Clinic, by the way. I feel like I need to make that clear that I am, in fact, getting this information from known credible sources. I'm not trying to, like, blow smoke up anybody's ass with ineffective woo-woo treatment. With the MMR, this is where we'll talk about shedding again because the MMR is a live virus vaccine and has been responsible for a lot of measles outbreaks. And I also want to clarify that these cases can be labeled as outbreaks if only four linked cases have been reported. Four. The media loves to use the word outbreak because it puts everybody in a state of fear. Don't let the word games fool you. So with these live viruses, it states right here on the insert that excretion of small amounts of the live virus occurred in the majority of individuals 7 to 28 days after vaccination. So what does that mean? These live viruses that we are protecting ourselves against are being spread amongst the population after vaccination. Those who are vaccinated are exposed to this virus and are carriers of it during this shedding phase. This is why We have not yet seen these diseases eradicated. They are alive and circulating. And the worst part is that 
it isn't even the wild virus strain, and the vaccinated groups are the ones passing it around to each other, contracting it, blaming it on the unvaccinated group. When the unvaccinated kids cannot pass around a virus they've never been exposed to, it absolutely makes no sense. Some ingredients in the MMR include fetal bovine serum, gelatin, in the MMRV ProQuad vaccines, they contain MRC5. So the MRC5 cells were obtained in 1966 from the lungs of a 14-week-old aborted male fetus. Yes, these vaccines contain aborted fetal cells. And this is not news. This isn't conspiracy. I urge anyone who has a hard time believing this to do a few quick searches and you will find the exact same answers that I'm currently looking at. I know it's hard to believe. I didn't believe it either until I looked at the CDC pink book myself. Um, Adverse reactions. I can't read all these because the list is so long, um, but I will list a few. This is all information in the package insert on the FDA website. Fever, dizziness, diarrhea, vomiting, diabetes, anaphylaxis, arthritis, encephalitis, which is inflammation of the brain, um, which can cause seizures, hallucinations, loss of sensation, and obviously death, Um, pneumonia, a measles-like rash, deafness, retinitis, which there is no cure for and can cause blindness, and then death. So... Like I said, there's a ton more. So if you're curious, just look up the MMR vaccine insert and it's on page seven. The chickenpox vaccine, which is called varicella, is also live and contains MRC5 cells, gelatin, fetal bovine serum. I think we're all pretty familiar with the chickenpox because most people listening probably had it as a kid and it's really not that serious. Like, it's the chickenpox. Come on. The chicken pox and measles are actually really similar, so once you contract the chicken pox or the measles, um, you will likely not get it again because you have lifelong immunity afterward. Treatment revolves around symptom relief. Adverse reactions for Verifax include anaphylaxis, respiratory illness, fatigue, diarrhea, vomiting, chills, stiff neck, heat rash, eczema, abdominal pain, diaper rash, that's so fucking weird to me, disturbed sleep, eye complaints, and seizures. Oh my god. So the insert states right here that due to the concern for transmission of vaccine virus, vaccine recipients should attempt to avoid whenever possible Close association with susceptible high-risk individuals for up to six weeks following vaccination with Verifax. To translate, this means that newly vaccinated individuals are a health threat to the immunocompromise. They are shedding the virus for six weeks. I really hope this clears up any confusion about outbreaks. We know why they're happening. The products spread the virus they are claiming to prevent. Let's cover the Tdap really quick, tetanus, diphtheria, and pertussis. So there is some misconception about tetanus. It's pretty serious and life-threatening if contracted, but it is extremely rare. From 2009 through 2015, 
197 cases and 16 deaths from tetanus were reported in the United States. It isn't contracted from rust. It is the bacteria Clostridium tetani, which is found in animal manure, which can be in soil or dust, and it has to enter a punctured wound. It can also be found in the mouth of wild animals, which is why treating an animal bite is so important. Unfortunately, um, there is no tetanus vaccine. It's just the combination with diphtheria and pertussis. What you can do is receive a tetanus immune globulin shot if you're super worried about tetanus after a cut or bite. It contains antibodies against the tetanus toxin. Diphtheria is considered very rare as well, but can be serious and symptoms include chills, fatigue, shortness of breath, rashes, sore throat, muscle weakness, swollen lymph nodes. Any illness that has the potential to affect breathing will be considered serious. Um, but if it's treated, like you can get it under control very easily, as with most illnesses. Medication is available. Pertussis is considered rare and is a short-term illness, usually resolving on its own. It can be dangerous for infants because it can affect their breathing, but it's not really a huge concern for older kids. Congestion, runny nose, sneezing, fever, and vomiting can occur. Uh, medications also available. The Tdap vaccine contains aluminum, formaldehyde, and one brand also contains polysorbate 80. Polysorbate 80 is used as an emulsifier to enhance the delivery of the product, crossing the blood-brain barrier. This brings in and allows for the delivery of these heavy metals, such as aluminum or mercury, to also cross the blood-brain barrier. Polysorbate 80 has also been linked to infertility. Adverse reactions for the Tdap include fever, fatigue, headache, redness, anaphylaxis, coma, decreased level of consciousness, seizures, uh, GBS, which leads to paralysis. We talked about that earlier with polio, neurologic disorders, and then several others. So we can see right here that the side effects from the vaccine are a lot more severe than any of the diseases that it apparently prevents. <laughs> so Hep B. Hep B is given on your baby's first day of life. Right out of the womb, they get vaccinated for an STD. Your baby is not going to be having sex with prostitutes or shooting up heroin in the hospital, so I'm not really sure why this is even a thing. If both parents have been tested and shown to be clean, it's super disturbing. And the Hep B uh, vaccine contains aluminum, formaldehyde, and polysorbate 80. The twin Rex Hep A and B combo contains aborted fetal cells as well. The flu vaccine, <laughs> it's such a joke that I feel like I don't even really need to cover this one because, come on, it's the flu vaccine. Um... Let's just name a few of these trash ingredients really quick. There are several different brands, and the flu mist is live, by the way. The injections aren't, but they include formaldehyde, eggs, maiden derby, K9 kidney cells, polysorbate 80, formaldehyde, and timerosol, which contains mercury. There are several other vaccines on the CDC schedule, but I think we're just going to move on so I can talk about some other stuff.
Now, all of these inserts state that these products have not been tested for safety on pregnant women, including the flu vaccine inserts. So when your OB or pediatrician or whoever tries to tell you that these are safe while you're pregnant, they're lying to your fucking face. They might not know they're lying, but they are lying. So yeah, these contain a lot of human and DNA cells, which is disturbing considering on 13.1, on every vaccine insert, they say that they have not been tested for carcinogenic or mutagenic potential or impairment of fertility. What does this mean? It means that they have no idea if these products can cause cancer or alter your DNA. The CDC schedule contains 74 doses total. In 1983, there were only 24 doses total. I know correlation doesn't mean causation, but looking at this in the skyrocketing cases of childhood cancer and autism should be raising some red flags for everybody. Now, I really don't like talking about vaccines and autism because it's such a misunderstood argument and people take it out of context saying that we would rather risk our children's lives from contracting these so-called deadly diseases over having an autistic child and that's not the case. There is an option to have neither. You can have a healthy child with a healthy brain. I've already had conversations with mothers who notice the regression in their children get more severe with each round of shots and i'll tell you what they were not over the moon about it there's a lot of guilt parents feel when they think what if i could have changed the outcome of this the reason this specific conversation is so messy is because most people don't understand autism People tend to think you're either born with autism or not, and that it's black and white. It's a spectrum, and one can either regress or progress. The term autism spectrum disorder refers to many different delays, social skills, repetitive behavior, and so on. It's not a firm diagnosis. People can fluctuate within this spectrum. Genetics obviously play a lot of roles in someone's development, but we know that these genetics are not the only thing that can cause autism. There are environmental factors that can be added to the equation. The speculation that vaccines can induce autism is because of the buildup of heavy metals. Heavy metals are found in our air, water, food, there's no escaping it. So, with these nice doses of heavy metals injected into our bodies, which is bypassing the liver and kidneys, they are easily stored in the body or brain, thanks to the polysorbate 80. There are hundreds of published medical journals showing the link between heavy metals and autism. And it's mainly because of encephalitis that we talked about earlier, which is brain inflammation. Quoting from PubMed Study 2683465, if you want to pull it up, a conservative estimate based on the research suggests that at least 69% of individuals with an ASD diagnosis 
have microglial activation or neuroinflammation. Encephalitis, which is defined as inflammation of the brain, is medical diagnosis code G04.90 in the International Classification of Disease 10th Revision. However, children with an ASD diagnosis are not generally assessed for a possible medical diagnosis of encephalitis. This is unfortunate because if a child with ASD has neuroinflammation, then treating the underlying brain inflammation could lead to improved outcomes. So, heavy metals don't just flush themselves out on their own. They're extremely difficult to detox. So as they build up, they can cause someone to keep regressing. I've read hundreds of testimonies of people detoxing themselves and their children of heavy metals and their delays improving. And some of these stories would blow your mind. Nonverbal children talking, seizures subsiding, children who can't read start reading. There's been so much improvement in removing heavy metals from the body, which I do plan on dedicating an episode to heavy metal toxicity specifically in the future. So another thing that all of these package inserts state is to not administer these vaccines to people with an auto not auto sorry with an immunodeficiency and this includes people with an MTHFR gene mutation 30 to 40% of people have a variation of this mutation that is a lot of people and the only way to know is through genetic testing which most people do not do people with these mutations don't produce enough glutathione which is the body's most powerful antioxidant to break down the toxic ingredients in these products, and they are more prone to injury, especially brain inflammation. So we're throwing darts here and hoping for the best when truth is no one has any idea if these are safe for them or their children specifically. One schedule for every individual to follow is so dangerous, and it's insane that people are coerced to follow it. And I'm willing to bet that most of what I've read to you today, which is straight from the CDC and FDA, your doctors never covered with you during your well-child visits before giving vaccinations. Most of them have never read the inserts themselves. And again, I'm not trying to place blame on doctors. It's not their fault how they're taught. But with the issues surfacing associated with vaccines, it is their responsibility at this point to dig deeper and stop turning a blind eye at the possibility that these are causing really detrimental issues for people. It's not a one in a million chance. The chances are higher to have vaccine injury than to die from the measles in the United States. Straight from VAERS, which is the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, has told us that only 1% of adverse reactions are reported. And there is currently, just at 1%, there is currently a $4.3 billion, with a B, dollar payout and rising to compensate families that suffered injuries. This is funded with a $0.75 cent tax on every vaccine given. And this is called the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program, which was put in place because of the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act, 
which was passed in 1986, relieving vaccine manufacturers of liability. This means that these vaccine manufacturers cannot be sued for the damages done from their products, even if their products become mandated. It's absurd. As for chimerosol-containing vaccines, there are 50,000 parts per billion of mercury, and the the EPA classifies just 200 parts per billion as hazardous waste. And again, this is injected rather than ingested, which is harder for the body to break down, especially once it has passed the blood-brain barrier. Another thing to remember with these heavy metals is that the accumulative effect poses harm in the presence of electromagnetic frequencies. So having your cell phone always on your person, always being in a short radius of a Wi-Fi router or a cell phone tower or all these Bluetooth devices that we use. We're pretty much walking conductors for these things. And now we're seeing 5G towers being put up everywhere and causing literal cell damage to people. That's another rabbit hole for another time. Um, The point is, we know the dangers of heavy metal toxicity. They are known neurotoxins, and yet we're constantly exposed to it, ingesting it, and now injecting it more than 17 times before the age of one year. SIDS cases skyrocket at two months, four months, and six months, which is when babies are given several injections at once at their well-child visits. All I'm saying is healthy babies don't just die for no reason. You do the math. Let's dabble into herd immunity. I think the shedding covers quite a bit of myth-busting, seeing as recently vaccinated people with live viruses are a direct threat to the immunocompromised People like to find pride in getting immunized because they feel like they're doing a social justice thanks to the play on our humanity by Big Pharma, but herd immunity cannot and will not be achieved through vaccination. Why? Vaccines only trigger the innate immunity. This part of your immune system does not have long-term memory, hence why more and more boosters are being enforced. The efficacy of vaccinations wanes very quickly. Natural exposure and recovery to a wild virus triggers your adaptive immunity, which then provides lifelong immunity that can then be passed down to your unborn um, if you're a female. Vaccines don't penetrate the branch to allow for lifelong natural immunity or for immunity to be passed down. Thank you to Dr. Shiva, a scientist of over 41 years, with a PhD in biological engineering from MIT who simplified this for us. He's a huge advocate in this movement for a safer, more tailored way to immunize the population with more reliable data. So getting back on topic, another reason that it can be dangerous to assume a vaccinated person is less of a health threat is because vaccines like the Tdap and the flu shot, they don't prevent you from contracting pertussis or the flu. They only have the ability to possibly suppress some of your symptoms, which sounds great, right? But what happens when people don't show symptoms that accurately reflect the seriousness of their illness? They go into public and they spread the disease they have which is a threat to the immunocompromised. 
that they are convinced they're protecting. But who reads the inserts, right? (laughs) So then how can we really remain healthy and build a badass immune system? Clean up your diet, stay hydrated, get a really good water filter, take your vitamins, stock your medicine cabinet with azorbic acid, activated charcoal, probiotics, elderberry, raw honey, colloidal silver. There are so many ways to ensure that your body is prepped to fight what other pathogens it comes into contact with. It's important to try to get your body back to its original settings as close as possible before the heavy metal buildup, before the fluoridated pineal gland before the chemicals our bodies cannot fight illnesses effectively if we are in a constant state of mild poisoning and i don't think most people even realize that that's their reality they think getting really sick every several weeks is normal or having constant ear infections migraines insomnia inflammation irregular digestion hormonal imbalances chronic fatigue are all normal occurrences but they aren't We are so far from our natural state as human beings that we are fighting off so many things. And adding this to the equation makes our immune system even more overloaded and unable to do its job. I hope this conversation has encouraged people to be better informed before making decisions such as this. It's dangerous and it's lazy to put all of your medical decisions in the hands of another person, doctor or not. You need to know what these decisions actually mean. And without reading the package insert and understanding not only the benefits, but the risks as well, you're not making an informed decision. Everyone's decisions will look different based on how they weigh the pros and cons. We're not told the extent of the risks, so it's time for us to better inform ourselves if our doctors are not doing that for us. Doctors are not medical deities, And we need to stop trying to exempt them from mistakes. It's costing us our health. Tacking this on top of all the other biological attacks we're facing is just the tip of the iceberg. No matter where you stand in this topic, I think there is one thing that everyone needs to remember. Where there is risk, there must be choice. Informed choice. And even if you choose to follow the CDC schedule to a T, I hope you're at least aware of the potential harm and can support others' right to decline. Seeing vaccines become mandated and exemptions taken away is a crime, and I cannot believe people are seriously being tricked into supporting that. It makes my stomach turn that we, free humans of this planet we've been born into, can be coerced into making a medical decision of any sort. Our rights to choose are more important than other people's false sense of security and fragile comfortability. And if we give our bodies to the state as property, we will only see more rights taken away. It's not an anti-vax versus pro-vax conversation. This is really a fight for our medical autonomy And until everyone else wakes up to see that, we will keep fighting for your right to choose, even if you want our right to choose taken away, because it's not the same decision as yours. If you would like to start your own independent research on this topic and don't know where to start, the vaccine-friendly plan by Dr. Paul Thomas is amazing. It's evidence-based. His vaccine schedule is being widely used across the country. It's a delayed schedule, and he recommends skipping some entirely, 
The schedule is based on his own experience as a pediatrician and seeing the results from the CDC schedule. It's not anti or pro-vax. It just gives you the risks and benefits of each decision, the efficacy and the ingredients of each vaccine, and the truth about the disease it claims to prevent. It's overall just written really well. Another great option is Miller's Review of Critical Vaccine Studies, which is contains 400 important studies um, about vaccines. It's really great. It's written by Dr. Neil Miller. And then a really great book about the diseases specifically is Dissolving Illusions by Suzanne Humphreys. And you can also access thousands upon thousands of peer-reviewed studies on pubmed.gov. Well, That was a lot, but I got that in a lot faster than I expected to. So I hope I covered enough for you guys. This is a really deep rabbit hole, so I may cover more about like these different subtopics under the umbrella of vaccines in the future. But for now, that wraps up this episode, and thank you guys for listening.